wonderful prayer time and testimony. Um, I like this. The best is yet to come. I was um, speaking with Bill this past week, and he was telling me a little bit about um, ministry. And, you know, everything with Bill evolves around ministry and seeking God. And he says, oh, do you know who was at church last Sunday? At the brethren. I said, no, who? He says, God. He says, God showed up. And he told me some things, and I'll let him share that with you. But, you know, the Bible tells us where two or three are gathered, there he is also amongst us. And um, Bill said his prayer is, he said that God is going to do great things if we just stay out of his way. And by staying out of his way doesn't mean we just sit on the bench and and, uh, do nothing. He wants us to be participants of this. But what he was talking about is many times in our pride and in our ways we try to figure it out uh, as man does. And Connie's testimony is, is right along those lines. We say, I can't. But you know the scriptures say that while we were yet powerless, God did his work. And our strength comes through him. And so we're going to continue in uh, the epistle of 1 John. We're into the second chapter. And really, first, first John tells us how to fellowship with God and how to fellowship with one another. And it seems like that would be a fairly simple concept for us to grasp, but it's really um, something that we're not really good at. We are not very good at, at loving one another. We're not very good at being obedient to God's word. And he talks about both of these things. And chapter 1 tells us that walking in the light is really dealing honestly with our sin. So hopefully over the last couple weeks you've been reading through John chapter 1. I mean, it's a small book. You could read the whole book in, in 5 or 10 minutes if you're just reading through it. But to just to keep going over it and sort of regurgitate it spiritually in our life. It talks about us walking in the light and, and dealing honestly with our sin. And so that's the question. Are, are we dealing honestly with sin in our life? You know, the Bible tells us that there's a time coming when the world, and I believe it's going to filter into the church, where we begin to call good evil and evil good. And so we justify our sin, we justify our actions, we, we justify the things we do with all sorts of excuses. But when we come to 1 John here, especially I think as I've been going through this, it's sort of this test, this self-test that we look at. So as we're going through this, I'm not asking you to look to your neighbor, to your spouse, or to somebody else and, and be judgy on them. I want you to ask yourself these questions as we go through this. And as we come into chapter 2, and chapter 2 again, another wonderful um, part of scripture, it talks about this word, abiding, depending on the Bible verse that you have, but it's this word abiding that is actually going to happen about 10 times in verses 6 through um, 24, 27, somewhere in there. So he's going to talk about this abiding, and what is this abiding? Well, you know, when we talk about abiding, means remain. So we remain. When we have this relationship, we want to remain in it. So when he talks about that the Father would abide in us and we abide in him, that we remain in each other, that we remain in this uh, fellowship with him. It also means to dwell or to live. Okay, So when we abide, we're living. And so uh, the Bible would tell us again that we're living epistles known and read of all men. You think your testimony is important to the world? It is. 
because they're going to judge this one we call Christ, this one that, this God that we talk about that we want everybody to come to know by our lives, by our actions. Sometimes we say, well, that's not fair. You know, how, how can people judge a, a mighty and righteous and holy God by us? But we are those examples. We are those living epistles. And I, I used an example of a long time ago where um, I follow NBA a little bit, and Charles Barkley was a, was a, a superstar for the Phoenix, Phoenix Suns, and something happened during a game, and he ended up in the crowd, and one of the crowd taunted him, and he turned around and he spit on the fan. And the NBA got all upset with him, as rightfully so, and they said, you are an ambassador of the NBA. You're one of our superstars. You are the face of the NBA. He said, I didn't ask for that. But they said, you are, just by who you are in the position you're in. So when we come to Christ, understand that we are ambassadors of Christ. The world looks at us, and we may be that only glimpse of Jesus that they see. Of course, we don't want them to stay focused on us. We're always trying to point them to the Father. But that's what that abiding is. It's, it's, it's staying in the Lord and the Lord staying in us. And we're walking in him, not in our own power, but in his power. And so this closeness that we talk about is this intimate, open relationship. And we, we've talked about that the last few weeks. And so the question is, do you have an intimate, open relationship with Christ? And you may say, well, that, that, that sounds silly. I, I don't understand. So sometimes for God, for us, is, is somebody that's way up in the sky. He's something distant, far off. He's someone that we go to when we have problems in our life. That is not intimacy. That, that's just a convenience. That's a, that's a Santa Claus Christian. Okay? We go to him when we want something, expect something. Intimacy means that we're having continual, abiding relationship with him. We're open with him. We're not trying to hide things from God. We're not trying to justify sin in our life. We are trying to walk in the light as he is in the light. And then it says the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all this unrighteousness. And so we want to talk about the right type of, of love today. And we're going to read, and in, in again, 1 John 2. I think I'll go through the first 11 verses here. So it says, My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, he has an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation of our sins, and not for our sins only, but also for the whole world. Now by this we know that we know him, if we keep his commandments. He who says, I know him, and does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. He who says that he abides in him ought also to walk just as he walked. Brethren, I write no new commandment to you, but an old commandment which you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you heard from the beginning. Again, a new commandment I write to you, which thing is true in him and in you. Because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. He who says that he is in the light and hates his brother is in darkness until now. He who loves his brother abides in the light and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But he who hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he is going. Because the darkness has blinded his eyes. 
And so John is talking about this relationship that we're going to have, not only with God, but with one another. So since we sin, first of all, we need to know where to go. And we talked last week that there are those that minimize their sin. They say that's not really sin. Uh, some say we don't sin, that, you know, I've asked for forgiveness, so God has sort of wiped wipe my slate for the, the rest of my life. Well, the Bible teaches us clearly that we are sinful beings, that we are going to sin in our life. That doesn't mean that we should just say, well, that's the fact, and I'm going to go out and just continue to do what I want to do in a sinful way. It just means that in our nature, we're going to find ourselves sinning. And when we do sin, we need to know where to go. And John replies that we have friends in high places, right? We have Jesus Christ who is our advocate. And we're going to talk about this advocacy that he has. He's our, our defense advocate for the sin in our life. But in order for him to be our defense advocate, we need to confess, we need to repent, we need to recognize and call sin what it is. And so when we talk about confession, and I've been involved with the, uh, the criminal justice system uh, for the state of Wisconsin uh, for 37 years, and uh, unfortunately, I dabbled in it personally before that. So I sort of know this criminal justice system. And so confession is this, is that you are agreeing with God on something. So when he calls sin, sin, we say, yes, I recognize that as sin in my life. I know that that is sin in my life. That, that's the confession. That's an agreement. Repentance is our change of heart, change of mind, change of direction in our life. And so it is Jesus, when we confess our sin, we agree that the sin is in our life and we repent of that sin. That means I've purposed in my heart uh, to go the other direction. He is our defense advocate. He stands up and defends us in this. And so it tells us that we have this advocate in heaven. He says, these things are right to you so that you may not sin. Isn't that a, an interesting uh, piece of scripture? John is saying, I'm writing these things so you don't have to sin. You shouldn't be sinning. We shouldn't be trying to sin. In our life, sometimes we make sins of, there's omission and commission, but sometimes we just choose to sin. We just say, well, I know it's sin, and I know it doesn't please God, but he'll understand. And as we talked last week, he doesn't understand those things. What he understands is he's paved the way through his son, Jesus Christ. He is the door. He is the way to the Father. So when we look at these things and we say we have this advocate in heaven, he says, I write these things to you, that you may not sin. So as we are a body of believers, as we are accountable to one another, we should feel that freedom to say to one another when we see people in sinful situations. And again, the, the very basis of this is love. Okay, And this is why I say it needs to start with us. But we need to go to people in love and saying, you know, what you are doing is not right according to God. It's not It's not. You know, he's not happy with the way that you are doing things or the things that you are doing in your life. And then say, what can we do to help you out of this? That's discipleship. We come alongside people. We just don't tell people, you know, you got this in your life and you got to get this out because God's ticked off at you. No, we come alongside and we call sin, sin. There's nothing wrong with it. But we're doing it in love. And so we say, I want to I help you. I want to help you through this situation. Because sometimes people say, I, I don't see any other way out of it. I don't see I have a choice. I, I just don't. And, and life is real and life is hard. And sometimes when things are going good in our life, we forget that. So we come alongside these people and we help them. But he tells us, he says, I write to you these things so you do not sin. And he says, and when we do sin or if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He who is 
without sin. That is a, such a blessing of a scripture. Verse 2 goes on, And he himself is the propitiation of our sins, and not for ours only, but for the whole world. So, John 3.16, For God so loved the world, that he gave a son, that whosoever believes shall not perish, but have everlasting life. He has made full propitiation, it says, for our sins. Well, what does that mean? Offering. He's made the offering. He's, he's bailed us out. He has, he has made the sacrifice upon Calvary. So when I was younger, sometimes I'd get in trouble and I'd get a fine and I couldn't pay the fine. And, and I had a, a wonderful grandma um, who enabled me a lot in, in my problems. But she would bail me out. She would go make that payment. She would make the sacrifice. She would pay that offering for my ticket or whatever it was that I was in trouble for. So much more so of what Jesus has done. He made appeasement for it. But one of the other meanings of this word that I want you to think about is he became the victim for us. So in the criminal justice system, a victim is an innocent person that paid a price for something, of a, of a death, of a robbery, of something like that. And Jesus is really the victim of our sin. He took our place. He bore our sin. He who was without sin became sin for us and went to that cross. He was without spot or blemish, gave his life that we may live. He became the victim. So sometimes when we begin to take our sin lightly in this world, I want you to think about that. You're making somebody else the victim. It's, it's really no different than sometimes going up and taking somebody else's life. That's, that's the darkness. That's the weight of the sin that we have. That's why the Father looked away from Christ upon the cross, because he could not bear to look upon that sin. So he's that payment of our sin. But when we do sin, and we confess, and we repent of these things, the Bible tells us that Jesus admits our guilt to the Father. Okay, We need to admit our guilt in our life. You know, people have, have big problems with accountability. They have big problems sometimes saying I was wrong or this is wrong or I've done these things. But Jesus pleads his blood over our sins to the Father. And that's where that forgiveness comes from. Amen. Romans 5 tells us this. And hope does not put us to shame. I mean, what is our hope? Our hope isn't in this flesh, isn't in this tent, isn't in our, in our deeds. The Bible tells us our deeds are as filthy rags. Now we can do good things, but eternally our, our deeds don't earn us any favor that have eternal value unless they're done in Christ, through Christ, by Christ. But it says this hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. Our hope is because Christ loves us and we sense that love and we know that love and that love fills us through the Holy Spirit that we have in our life who has been given to us. You see, at just the right time when we were still powerless, you know, there's a time when we were powerless and we still are, I believe, without Christ. It says Christ died for the ungodly. We were powerless and Christ still went to the cross and died for the ungodly. Very rarely, the scriptures say, will anyone die for a righteous person. But for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrated his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
He didn't die for us because of our goodness. He didn't die for us because of our potential and our uh, possibilities of life. He didn't die for us because we are gifted in some certain way. We were sinners. We were enemies of the cross. We were enemies of God before we came to know him. And it tells, the Bible even tells us still, some of us live as enemies. As Corinthians talks about that. But we were in sin. We were in darkness. There was nothing godly about us. But Jesus made that um, supreme sacrifice to go to the cross. And it says, died for those who were not saved. Who were living against everything that he has. And it says, his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from the, gra- the wrath of God through him? See, that advocacy of, of Christ is this, is when we stand before a judge, he's there to pronounce guilt or innocence. And what does the Bible say? All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. None righteous, not one. We're all guilty by our sins to stand before God. We cannot stand before a holy and righteous God in our own merits and plead our case. Oh man, I gave, I gave this to the church and oh, I help people all the time. And Well, you know, I wasn't as bad as, as my neighbor. You know, my neighbor, he was a bad guy and I wasn't like that. And we plead in this case and it's nothing. It's nothing. And so Christ steps in. Christ says he's trusted me. He believes in me. He abides in me. And I plead my blood for this man or for this woman or for this person. That's the advocacy that Christ has for us. Verses 3 and 4 go on to say this. By this we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. These are self-examination verses again. We could ask ourselves, do I really know God? Am I keeping his commandments? Now these commandments aren't because to earn the salvation. They're because of the salvation that we have received. Are you abiding in him? Are you walking in him? Are you walking in the light as he is in the light? By this we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. What do you do with the scripture like that? So I'm choosing not to to follow God's words. And these aren't just the Ten Commandments. These are the the precepts and principles also in the New Testament. The things that Jesus has said, do these things. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, and body, and spirit, and mind. And when we do these things, we fulfill all the others. Are you doing those things? Are you following those two simple commandments? He who says, I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. What do you do with the scripture like that? What do you do with that? You got to look at that and say, am I falling short? Am I walking? Am I pursuing God the way that he wants me to pursue him? Or am I living my life and trying to squeeze him in here and squeeze him in there? That's not abiding. Abiding is where, where Christ permeates us. It's like yeast in a, in a ball of dough. It sort of goes through that whole thing and that, that whole form of dough begins to change. It just and, and I don't need to do anything. I mix in the yeast and I set that dough down and, and I go back and look at it a, an hour later and it's, it's big. Something happens. And we're filled with the Holy Spirit. And Christ is abiding in us and we are abiding in him. And our desires are his desires. He just begins to work in our lives. And things begin to change in our lives. He tells me all the time, you need to relinquish control. And let me have control of your life. you got to stop trying to figure it all out by, by your own ways. 
and follow my ways because my ways are righteous. Christ, the righteous advocate. And so the proof of eternal life is in this this daily obedience that we have for him. How many of us really wake up in the morning and say, Lord, what is it that you have for me today? And, and listen, it's not like a free-for-all thing. You know, people say, well, i got obligations. i got a job to go to. I got Yes, I understand that. God knows those things. He's not saying, you know, throw everything away and, and go live in a monastery somewhere and don't talk and just pray, pray, pray. He knows that we have life, but you bring him into all parts of the life. See, that's abiding. When we're living, you know, we sing a song every now and then, living for Jesus. Are you living for Jesus? Are you, is that really your intent in your life? Because obedience leads to this intimate experience with God. How do you get to know somebody? I mean, we can put it in, in earthly terms. How do you get to know somebody? Those of you that are married, I mean, you know, unless you're from the old country and had a prearranged marriage, but even them, when they got married, they had to learn to love each other. They had to learn to, to know each other more and more. But for most of us, we date, right? We date for a long time. We try to figure it out. And, you know, what do we have in common? What, what are the, you know, touchy spots that we shouldn't go to? And, you know, we have all these things. That's the intimacy. God wants that intimacy with us. And we find that through his word. We find that through Christian fellowship. We find that through prayer. But it's this, this obedience that leads to a, an intimate experience with God's love. Because the closer we draw to him, the more that we feel his love in our life. The more that we talk with him and confess our sins and, and, and share even just the desires of our heart, the more we see his hand at work in our life and, and the relationship grows stronger and deeper. You know, we talked a few weeks ago that, that a lot of Christians today are an inch deep and a mile wide. Well, God wants us to be deep. He wants our relationships to be deep. We live in a world of superficial relationships and that's why many times we see so many things go wrong where people can just walk away from relationships and, and walk away from these things because they're, they're not deep. They're not committed. God wants the commitment on both sides and obedience means living as Jesus did. He who said he abides in him ought also to walk just as he walked. Oh, man, that's another big one. How do we do that? How do we walk as he walked? Well, God tells us we need to follow him. We need to depend on him. We need to keep our eyes stayed upon him. And when we do this, he's at work in our life. 1 Peter 2 tells us this, 24. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. To die to sin. That means forsaking sin. We're still going to have sin in our life. Sin pops up, sin creeps up. Sometimes we're going to be dumb and just choose to do sin. But it says that we have this in our desires to live for righteousness. You can read in the Psalms about David. David is an excellent example. You know, all the stupid things he did. He committed adultery. He had a man killed. He, he did other uh, stupid things through there. But what did God say about him? Here's a man after my own heart. And he'd say, what? How does that happen? Well, because David was like you and I. He had a fallen nature. He did things that he shouldn't have done, but he sought after God and he repented towards God for these things. And he was confessing those things that he knew that they were wrong. And God says, you know, there's somebody that is after my own heart. 
the genuine Christian, and I love genuine Christians because you know what? You see the chinks in their armor? You see the, the bruises and the scars in their life? They're genuine. They're genuine people. I like that. I like that much more than the, than the shiny ones. You know, that i got everything under control. Everything's great. Everything's wonderful. You see those genuine ones because they're the ones that have that relationship with Christ. And it says, he wanted us or through him that we might die to sin, live to righteousness. By his wounds, it says, we have been healed. Through the sacrifice of Christ upon the cross, through the shedding of his blood. He says, for you were like sheep who had gone astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Do you believe that in your life? Do you believe that in your walk? Because brotherly love is really an essential part of life. Verses 7 and 8 tells us this. Brethren, I write no new commandment to you, but an old commandment which you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word, word which you have heard from the beginning. Again, a new commandment I, ha- I write you, uh, which is true in him and in you, because darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. You know, back in 1 John 1, 7, it told us this. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. How is your relationship with other believers? Is there things that you need to, to patch up, to mend, to, to make amends for? Have you lived peaceably with all men as much as depends on you? When we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. If we're not having that fellowship, there's something wrong. It says that we are, are walking in darkness. He's going to tell us that a little bit later, I think, in 1 John 4, 20. It tells us this, if someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God who he has not seen? Well, you can say, well, I don't love the person, but I really don't hate him. I'm sort of indifferent. I'll tell you, indifference is worse than hate, in my opinion. Because indifference is like that person doesn't even exist. Hate is at least an emotion. But really, in in biblical terms, you love somebody... Or you don't love them. If you don't love them, you really hate them. And, and I love the testimony that, that Connie shared. You know, if you love these people, we need to do it. It's hard. And, and I commend you, Connie. And I know she doesn't want attention for it. But I commend people that have that love towards somebody that, that they don't, they're not afraid of rejection. Or maybe if they are afraid of these things, we overcome it. Because in our power, we can't do it. But through the power of Christ, we can. Because... If God has called us to it, he's going to see us through it. may not always go the way that we want it to go, but God has called us to those things. And it's really the essential mark of the Christian life, this love for one another, brothers and sisters in Christ, but also for the lost of the world. That's why we have the Great Commission. Go out, therefore, into all the world and make disciples, teaching them all things. Are we doing that in our life? So as we come to the last couple of scriptures here, it says, it says, he who says he is in the light and hates his brother is in darkness till now. You know, believers are commanded to love one another. We're commanded to. That, that sort of takes away the choice. Jesus doesn't say, well, you know, if you feel like it, he's okay, love him. No, Jesus says love him. Are you able to look at people in in through the eyes of Jesus. You know, when Jesus looked upon the world, and, and I often think, even from the cross, I picture Jesus looking, you know, sitting up on this cross. I'm just sort of a visual person. 
have no idea if this is how it happened, but I think as he's up there, stretched out, pain, understanding all that's happening, he's looking down, sort of like I'm looking down upon you. And he's seen the guards over here that are, are gambling for his clothes. He maybe sees the ones over here that, that drove the, the nails into his hands. He sees those out there that are never going to accept him and are always going to mock at him. But he also sees those that maybe someday will come to him. He sees his mother down there and he, he tells John, Behold your mother, behold your son. He wanted his mother to be taken care of. But as he looked upon all these ones that had spit upon him and jeered at him and were taunting him, if you're truly the Son of God, he looked down upon them and said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Do you have that love towards others? That when you look at others, you have that love that Jesus had. He could look at people and he had a love for them because they were created in the image of God. People have hurt us deeply in our life sometimes. People have betrayed us. People have done all sorts of things and we can look and we can say, that's horrendous, it's terrible. Can you get beyond that and just say, there's still hope for that person, spiritual hope for that person. I deal with men at the prison, as anybody that works there, some of these men will never see the outside. And, and you know, they've done some horrendous things. But we believe that there's hope. We believe that there's a possibility that God gets into their life and changes things. And some of these men that have life sentences have come to know Christ and that becomes their missions field, even though they know they'll never get out again. Do you have that love towards others that you can look at people that way? Because love is often defined as the most important sign that the world uses to identify a Christian. You know, when Christians are clashing, Christians are battling, the world steps back and says, yep, there they go again. I don't want to be a part of that. We're to have this love for one another. We're to have this desire for one another. I had this thought um, a few weeks ago, and I'm sort of developing some thoughts on writing about it, but did Corinth need a second church? And I sort of thought about that. All the troubles that, that were happening in lives, and people could stand back, and still Paul could talk to them, and they continued on. Because hatred, hatred causes us to stumble. Hatred is what causes division. Hate, hatred is really what causes us to walk in the darkness. But those who love, it says, will not stumble. He says, he who loves his brother abides in the light and there is no cause for stumbling in him. You know what that's like, right? Walking in the dark, stumbling, stumbling stubbing your toes, finding that little matchbox car, you know, that you middle of the night, or when I was a kid we had jacks that were really, those were terrible things. So much better when the light's on, because you can see the path. And when we're abiding with Christ, when we're walking with Christ, we see the path. And maybe it's just a few steps at a time. When I first moved up here, I was from the cities, and, uh, closing story anyways. Um, when you live in the cities, you know, like I could walk down Hennepin Avenue, Lake Street, and there'd be gunshots, and Julie and I would talk, he'd step into the doorways until the shooting stopped and he'd go back out and he'd just walk. But everything was lit up, so I felt safe. Well, we moved up here and uh, took up coon hunting, of all things, which you do in the middle of the night and you do through swamps and woods. And, and every horror show I had ever seen as a kid had the crazies in the cornfields, right? Children of the corn or something like that, or 
the old crazy farmer that was hiding in the woods with a sickle or something waiting for somebody to wander by, I guess. And I was always sure, no matter where I was, that one of those crazy people were in the woods for me. I didn't like the darkness. Well, you get these little night lights. And you know what? Those night lights were like a lifesaver for me because the anxiety I had was just terrible back then. If it was dark out, the city is always light. Even, even out in the country, it's, there's a glow. But up here, it got dark. It got very dark. But I'd had this light, and, and it may only have shined out like five feet, but that was enough. That was enough to, to make me feel safe. Think about your walk with Christ. When you're walking in the light as he is in the light, he may not show you what tomorrow holds or next week holds or next month holds, but he'll show you enough to, to make you feel safe, knowing that you are walking in the light because he has provided that light, and you can see the things that are around. Are you walking in the light as he is in the light? Are, are you, do you have the right kind of love that God has called us to have? Are you abiding in him? Let's pray.